Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, do we have something to tech about, where every episode focuses on ways students create digital evidence of active learning. As a Google for Education district, students and educators alike have free, unlimited access to apps that support creativity, collaboration, communication, and critical thinking, all elements of 21st century active learning. We are Google for Education certified trainers, Drew and Angie, with something Something to to tech about. Welcome to another episode of Something to Tech About. Today, we are talking with Dr. Monica Burns of ClassTechTips.com, an easy ed tech podcast about creativity in the classroom, engaging formative assessment strategies, asynchronous and synchronous strategies. Angie, would you like to introduce Dr. Burns? I'd be happy to, yes. Hi, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Monica Burns. She's an ed tech and curriculum consultant, author, and former New York City public school teacher. She works with schools and organizations around the world to support pre-K through 20 educators with thoughtful technology integration. Monica's website and podcast help educators place tasks before apps by promoting deeper learning with technology. Monica, we're so excited that you are a guest on our show today, and we're looking forward to the strategies and resources you're sharing with our listeners today. Well, very excited to be here with you both and to chat and share and learn um, from you all as well. Thank you. So we'll, we'll jump right into a discussion. And what we've been asking a lot of our um, guests is to share your superpower with us, whether it's an ed- educational superpower or your ed tech superpower. Um, what is your superpower? Wow. Well, I love that question, right? It's, I think it's sometimes, you know, hard for all of us to kind of step back and say, you know, what is that thing or what is it that I'm really trying to make sure other people can understand and, and try out themselves? And so, you know, if I had to pick one thing, I think it would really be about simplifying things and trying to streamline and just make things easier because we know that there's so much out there, a lot of bright and flashy things in our ed tech space. And I work with educators at all different levels. So I might go to a building and work with educators where there are some folks who are, you know, really hesitant and trying something out for the first time or really building their tech confidence. And so, you know, I always think of my role in, in anything, whether I'm visiting someplace or leading a webinar or even writing about something, how can we just get this down to the simple pieces that someone can have an aha moment and then get ready to dive in a little bit deeper. I think that's where buy-in comes in for all of us, even if we are feeling really tech proficient, just knowing what is the simple kind of thing here that I need to know. And that's what I always try to, you know, try to communicate when I'm working with folks. That's That's a pretty powerful superpower. (laughs) Thank you. Breaking things down into pieces that people are ready to absorb and ready to put into action so that they can feel successful and um, impactful immediately is really, that's an amazing superpower. 
Mm-hmm. I want more of that. <laughs> we have been excited about your book, um, Tasks Before Apps, Designing Rigorous Learning in a Tech-Rich Classroom. Um, we would love it if you would share with our listeners the gist of what you what do you mean by tasks before apps? I mean, I have a pretty good idea about what you mean, but mm-hmm. I think that's, some, that's a really good conversation to have, and we'd love to promote your book as well. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Task Before Apps is my book with ASCD. I love ASCD. They've been a fantastic partner and I've been a, a faculty member for them for a bit and have a couple quick reference guides, which are these like fun, almost like pamphlets on different topics, even a distance learning one we did this summer. But that idea of Task Before Apps is really about simplifying things again and coming <laughs> back to this idea of putting the learning front and center. What are are we really trying to accomplish here? We might have this great tool. We might have a great resource and we need that right, to make things mm-hmm. happen. But how can we anchor it into the learning and really make sure that our learning goals are front and center and having that guide our decision-making around using technology? And that can look a few different ways. So right off the bat, that phrase for me is my, my gut check, right? To say, okay, what am I really trying to do here? Like this is fun and flashy. But like, what am I really trying to do here? And sometimes that comes back to an academic piece. Like this is the academic goal we have. Sometimes it's more about differentiation and making sure everyone can access resources. So I'm using technology in that way to make sure everyone can talk about their learning. And that's really where, you know, that prioritization takes place. You know, so all of those things can help drive our decision making for the tools. And I'm plenty guilty of a listicle, right? A a 40 tools or or 10 favorite apps for this, because you need those things to put anything into action. I can't have an empty tool belt, (laughs) right? right? With just the ideas in my head. And so, you know, both of those things go hand in hand. And it's just my reminder to really prioritize and say, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Let's make sure that that this comes front and center. Yeah, pull it back to the why. Why are, are we using this tool or why are we approaching it this way? I know, speaking from personal experience, when I first started, it was like, oh, we got these new Chromebooks or mm-hmm. iPads or there's this new program. The shiny what stuff. can we use it for? <laughs> you know, working it the wrong way. It took quite a while to um, switch that. So um, task before apps is definitely a, a great um, reminder that we really have to go back to our why. Yeah. And I think it helps build confidence and capacity for folks that are really you know, just energized about content and pedagogy and might feel a little intimidated about the technology because sometimes we have these trainings, right? And it might feel like it's all about what buttons to press, but it's really, Mm -hmm. you know, anchored in this other component. So if you're, you know, walking in, especially as a veteran teacher with some experience within content and best practices for teaching and learning, right? You're coming in with all of this wonderful stuff that we can build on top of. It doesn't matter if you have experience with the tool just yet, right? It's going to really mean a lot more that you have all of that other content and knowledge backing up, right? Everything that comes next. Right, right. right. And I think too, along the lines of thinking about it from the, the, excuse me, from the student perspective, as well as the teacher's perspective is what is it that we want the student to do? Like, what are they going to learn and how are they going to produce the thing or create the the thing or communicate the concept, whatever it is. 
starting with, what is the learning outcome? What is mm -hmm. the final result? What's the goal? Keep that in mind first and bringing in the technology afterwards. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's great that you said that because it just connects so much to conversations I'm having, you know, with educators virtually now, as we look at distance, right, or remote learning initiatives, how can we, you know, move past just the passive stuff to what yes. is feeling very active, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, it, it happened a lot more in the spring where it was like, okay, I found this thing. I'm going to push it out. I'm going to push it out. I'm going to post it on Schoology. I'm going to post it in Teams. I'll push it out. And that's a great you know, starting place to say, yes. and I'm curating these resources. But now that we've got it, right, what can we do to make sure those experiences are more active, that there is the expectation, like you said, that goes alongside that or, or follows up just next. And so it does come back to that idea of really being thoughtful right, and strategic throughout the whole process. Absolutely. Yes, I think putting students in the driver's seat and not just having them um, work through content in a canned program, you know, making sure that they are actually the producers of their own knowledge and their own learning makes a much more active student, makes them more excited about learning. It brings a lot of positive things into the, into the environment for sure. Have you tried Flipgrid? Flipgrid is a website that allows teachers to create grids to facilitate video discussions while giving students a voice in their learning. Want to elevate student engagement? We highly recommend using Flipgrid. Visit flipgrid.com for more information. And thinking of positive, I think creativity is one of those that um, can really you know, excite students with their learning. And I know in most of our um, episodes, Monica, we do stress the four C's. We, you know, the collaboration, the communication, the critical thinking, and the creativity. I, I tend to lean towards the create, creative side. Um, so if you would, if you wouldn't mind, can, you know, why do you feel that creativity is important um, to student achievement? How can it support student achievement? And maybe some simple but um, effective strategies and resources that you could offer our listeners. Yeah. So, you know, creativity is important in all the things that we do. It's not an arts, you know, situation, right? It's not about painting or, or music making. That's a fantastic component, but it's not it, right? It's not the only right. part. And so we can be creative in, in all the things that we do. And I think giving students opportunities to create something new, right? Make this new thing based on what they've learned, synthesize information from different sources and have that artifact or evidence or product of their learning, whatever you want to call it, really sets them up for an opportunity to share and to celebrate, have more ownership um, in their learning. So there's just so many components that make it really crucial or essential right, for bringing into you know all disciplines at all, all different levels. So when I think of creativity in a classroom environment, and I use that term to describe all the different types of classrooms of them, we're yeah. thinking about <laughs> now, of course, right? So, you know, when it looks like in those moments is, you know, kids working towards a goal, right? Having something that might have multiple iterations that they're going to need or request feedback on that is going to kind of 
go through a process um, to get to that final place. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be a, a big thing that they're biting off over multiple weeks. All those things can happen in a 45-minute period where right. kids are making a visual graphic to sum up what they've learned, right? So that can look very different in different ways, but it's been really exciting in an ed tech space to not necessarily abandon construction paper and scissors and ripping things up and making collages, but being able to share a physical product with a larger audience, right? To do Mm -hmm. research before we grab that pile of construction paper so that we've listened to a podcast all about the topic and now we're a little bit more informed before we're making this thing, right? So there's all different layers. And of course, you know, with my tech hat on this idea of getting kids talking, recording their voice, right? Capturing the process, right? There's many more ways for kids to do that than would have been possible in the past. More types of output, right? I was having a conversation yesterday with someone who is chatting about Soundtrap and podcast creation with her students. Um, I know that I'm a big fan of the Adobe Spark tools and the book creator tools. I do some work with their teams, right? And those are ones where you can have kids record voice, um, pull in images, um, use multimedia to share what it is that they've learned in different ways. So I'm always excited about the options. So it's not that everyone's thing needs to look the same or even that they're using the same type of media to get to that end goal. And I'm sure you found, you know, in your own conversations with colleagues and with other educators that, you know, sometimes there's that jump between doing this thing and an assessment that comes into play? Like how do we assess something like creativity or what does my rubric look like? Or we've always done a project like this in the past. You know, I think when we look at those resources, those graphic organizers, right, the rubric that we've used um, in years past, that's all wonderful core content. We can keep using, right? The, the content might not have changed very much depending Mm -hmm. on your subject area, I guess. Right. Right. And so um, having that, you know, maintain, and now we're adding these extra layers so kids can think more about audience, like reflect on the type of YouTube videos they watch. And so there's these additional layers that not only give kids more opportunities to share, right, but also help with buy-in, help provide a more relevant or authentic experience for kids when they're making connections to the type of content they consume. And it doesn't have to be a, a ninth grader thinking about the podcast they listen to on their walk to school. You know, it could be a kindergartner who recognizes a song from a YouTube video and is now making a movie with their class and has a whole different level of ownership um, over that as well. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, When you mentioned book creator, I just, I have to share a little snippet of something that's happening with some of my students. They are, are, my school's mascot is a bobcat. So I have young students in first, second, and third grades are currently researching about bobcats. They're using digital books and things like that. And they're they're asking me, but but last week we got to use this cool thing, this book creator. What what do you why are we now researching? (laughs) And then someone else chimes in, wait a minute, she's gonna make us read a book. I mean, make us make us is the word they use. Make us build a book. And then the chatter that started happening. Well, can we start with the book right now? You know, they were so excited Mm -hmm. to jump into it, which was exciting for me. I was glad they were excited about the project, but so many more of them really dove into also just talking about Bobcats, what they already knew, what they were wondering about. 
and the conversations that happened just because they were excited about all of it just energized the whole room. It was really fun. <laughs> I would encourage people to really mm-hmm. take some of those research projects that you're already doing. And then, like you're saying, Monica, add another layer of something new and it it will really invigorate a lot of students that may not be really interested in virtual learning. But if they can find some of those more interesting tools, they it makes a difference. I think if you're building in the creativity along the way and not just in the end product, I think a lot of us get stuck on the end product, you know, mm-hmm. let's learn about it and then make a project about it. Um, if all of that is built in along with the learning as mm-hmm. those layers, the students not only learn different tools along the way, but it, you know, like Monica said, it uh, their their thinking, probably more critical thinking, um, kicks in, and you know, just like the graphic organizers, that's a great mm-hmm. way. That's one layer oh, yeah. as you're learning hyperdocs and and different things mm-hmm. like that along the way. So I think a lot of times we get caught into the, you know, well let's go learn it all and and then make it. Well, not why not build it as you're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Insert the learning in pieces as you're going, and then you'll have that project that kind of scales, produces a scale of knowledge. You know, you start out small and mm-hmm. then you get bigger and bigger. Um, and that maybe kind of can play into the grading as well. You know, <laughs> if it's not a rubric, it could be a, a scale, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And just having that as a formative assessment component, right? I love that Bobcat example, right? You're giving such purpose to your students. They see the vision of where you're Mm -hmm. headed and like what they're going to accomplish. So right away, they're going to be ready to talk more. And and maybe that is, you know, using Jamboard and organizing Mm -hmm. all their research and then linking to it in their book creator book, right? So, you know, that process is something that I think we don't always celebrate as much, right? Mm -hmm. I think about how as a classroom teacher, pre-iPads, right? Or, you know, just overhead projector days, right? Um, How there were times where we were doing plenty of work up until, right, Mm -hmm. that celebration that, you know, are a lot of missed opportunities. And hopefully now where you do have access to jumping into Flipgrid and giving Mm -hmm. a project update or or something like that, you know, it allows for kids to be um, creative and then celebrated throughout the process. Absolutely. And and we did a... What I did with them was just mix in a little bit of um, paper pencil as well as the digital. So you know, uh-huh. I've got my green screen behind me, and I projected mm-hmm. up behind me like a um, yeah. those people who still are in love with their overhead projectors. But I put the yeah. the mm-hmm. fake piece of paper behind me. Here's what your organizer is going to look like, and they took out their notebooks, and we were all discussing, and they were taking notes during the Zoom call. Um, so they were having a blast and I was delighted that they were really, they stayed on task the entire time. I didn't have to say, you know, to the one person who might be spinning around over there in the corner, (laughs) everybody was really engaged. It was, it was a blast. Makes me happy to be back in the classroom to experience it live. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. Mm -hmm. By live, I mean digitally. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, Angie, are you back in the classroom? I'm not. I mean, I'm working from my house and so are the kids, but. Today, it felt like we were all in the same room. So it was a really fun thing. That's why I'm still kind of buzzing about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
professional development. You can invite Drew and Angie of Something to Tech About for a resource-loaded PD event. Visit our website for more information at www.somethingtotechabout.com. Um, there are so many schools and districts all around the world, you know, doing different things right now in terms of hybrid or face-to-face or a mix of the two. There are many people developing synchronous lessons, asynchronous lessons, and trying to decide when is the right time to use one over the other mm-hmm. and when to maybe blend or mix pieces of each and trying to find um, the most effective way to deliver instruction with all of these variables that, you know, no one ever really expected. Could you share some of the, your favorite strategies that could maybe help people find some balance with all of that? Yeah. So, you know, my big thing that I've been sharing, because I think it is all something that we can, we've felt before. So we, we can, just kind of connect with this feeling is that, you know, we've all sat in a faculty meeting and walked out the door and maybe we thought it to ourselves or we shared it with a colleague and said, couldn't this have just been an email? Right. Right. You know, like I'm sure the best intentions were there, but why, why, why did that have to happen that way? Right. Mm -hmm. We all know that feeling and we try not to be that person. Right. Um, Right. We are in that position too. And so I think the same thing applies here in the asynchronous and synchronous. If we're asking or encouraging folks to tune in at a certain time, there's got to be a reason for it that separates it from what they could just do on their own. And so if we're really thoughtful about that first, I think it can help drive our decision making to say, this doesn't need to be live streamed, or this does need to just happen three times a week, or it's okay if we give everyone an option to go live or to do asynchronous for this part of what we're doing. So I like to come back to that analogy because I think we all kind of can admit to having felt that at some point. Um, right. And so maybe that once. is something. Right, right. Just the kind right. No, no shout outs, right, to anyone in particular. But we've all kind of been in that in that situation. And so, you know, when we have that in mind, we can say, This is what we want to do and work together and prioritize that. Maybe it's community building. Maybe it's live Q&A. Maybe it's an extra tricky demo that you really want to have some pulse checks in the middle of that you're hesitant to pre-record because you anticipate there being some clarifying questions or some things that, you know, might be hard to show in video that you often show by jumping up and down when you're in a classroom or whatever it is, right? Like we all know what it is for our content. and so. That is something that I think is important. So those are kind of my big ideas around it that I've been sharing this spring and summer and and now into the fall. But to get more concrete, you know, I love tools like Mentimeter. I think it's great for everyone pausing, processing, sharing in the midst of something. I love that it's simple enough that you could do a word cloud. You could do a poll. I've been using the scales a lot. Like, am I very comfortable or am I not so comfortable? And so, you know, no wrong or right answer. I don't think I've ever used it with quizzing, to be honest. I think it's always been more of that open-ended piece. Um, and so that's one thing that I think is is worth investigating. 
Um, Nearpod, I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. as well. And I love that they are now offering the self-paced for free. So that yes. used to be a paid feature and now it's not. And I, was, I saw that. I was like, yes, this is going to you know, make everyone happy and, and make my life easier when I'm giving people ideas because now they can do this thing that is, you know, might have seemed like nice in the past is now like a must have, right? Yeah. So I think all of those things about, you know, even just saying with that example, right? If I did a live Nearpod lesson and I then wanted to share it as self-paced, well, I probably want to put in some extra questions and some extra visuals and maybe voice recording that I wouldn't have done on slides if I was leading it live. So those are some of the things too, to be, you know, reflective and strategic about, right? How is this? different, then what do I need to do in order to anticipate any issues that come along the way? So when it comes to that idea of, you know, asynchronous and synchronous activities, valuing the live time and Mm. making sure it's engaging and purposeful is really important. And then setting up the um, asynchronous or self-paced time for success with anticipating questions, being ready to respond, having more check-ins, I think is important. And Loom is a great tool also um, for this, right? Um, or Screencastify or whatever your your tool of choice is for screencasting because, you know, anytime that you're getting a question in, it's probably not going to be the only time you get that question. So I've been encouraging people, especially I talk with a lot of instructional coaches or folks that are supporting colleagues in addition to teachers who are supporting their students and families. I do this If I'm getting a question, like the second time I get that question, and I think it's not going to be the last, you know, I save that Loom video so I can just send it to someone. I write out my guided or canned response, right? And have it in a document so I can just copy and paste. Doesn't mean I'm a robot, right? I'm still going to add in the like, how's that thing with your family or checking in about whatever it might Mm -hmm. be, right? But here's the, you know, the thoughtful answer. I don't have to think about you know, every, every time, because after that second time, you know, I know that this is going to be something that might um, need to come back. So when it comes to supporting folks asynchronously or self-paced, that can be really useful for just making sure everyone's set up for success too. Yeah. I'm finding that with the, Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, Drew. I'm, I'm finding with my asynchronous lessons that my most successful ones are those that I feel like when it was finished, before I gave it to the students, I felt like I have communicated this almost to death. Mm-hmm. Like there is, there are no holes. I have over communicated where to find things, or maybe there's multiple places to find things. Even just trying to envision a student going through this by themselves. And can we really set them up for success to do it independently and not have to rely on another grown up to give them a hand? Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. thinking more in this regard. Um, up to like eighth grade is where I tend to spend most of my time. But even high school students, I've got a niece and nephew and they're like, I just can't stand it when the teacher doesn't give me enough directions. You know, they actually do want them, even though they don't always read all the way to the bottom. They do crave those so that they can be successful because they don't often want to ask questions. Right, right. They want to feel as though they understand and they are successfully Mm -hmm. independent and they can manage themselves. So trying to, I I just find that those, I feel like those are the, my best lessons. I can tell that I've made mistakes when the questions keep coming through. I'm like, okay, how can I revise and make this better for next week or whatever? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we've experienced that with um, training teachers as well, you know, through Google Classroom, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the academies and so forth. It's like, well, we, we need to go back and check this. Um, yeah, that's on me at that too point. Too many uh-ohs. <laughs> Say, mm-hmm. wait, what are you talking about? So, yeah, definitely. All right, we're going to kind of switch over. And you've, you've mentioned um, something about, a little bit about formative assessments just a little bit earlier. I know um, when I hear the word assessment, I automatically think a grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's not always the case. So, you know, the assess- assessment of student learning can take place in so many different forms. Can you, um, what are, what are your thoughts on strategies and resources that can um, uh, create engaging formal assessments so that students, the teachers, the educators can actually keep track or uh, take a look and check in as students are learning? Yeah. So just like you, I'm way less concerned with a number or a letter than I am with what that actual piece of data says, right? Or, or tells me, mm-hmm. right? It's really about driving instruction, making decisions. And there's no point in giving a quiz or asking for a response or collecting any kind of data that you're not going to use, right? So it really needs to be purposeful for everyone involved, right? And informative and in whatever it is that you're looking for. So, you know, with anything tech or no tech, right, we want to know what it is that we're hoping to see and be prepared for the possible outcomes. And so it might be reacting to a misconception or a gap or understanding that because I got this information from someone, now I'm going to give a new example, back up a little bit, form a group, right? So all of those are things that are important without the tech, but where the tech really comes in is, you know, the organization and efficiency, which is not, I think sometimes people are dismissive of, but if you are saving time, like you have time to do other things, which might include working with that small group or planning a more thoughtful intervention. So there's a huge benefit besides, you know, the make my life easier aspect right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can do something with that time. And then the other piece is that we really get better quality responses. And that can also include more responses, right? So hearing from more kids, which can be the quantity, but also the quality. So if we are using something like Flipgrid and there's a student that is conversationally proficient in the language that we're teaching in, and they're not ready to write a full paragraph, well, I don't really care in some situations, right? Sometimes I do, but in many Mm -hmm. situations, I don't care how you tell me what you know. I just need to know if you know it and what I need to do to help you get there. So if that means that you are using your voice, jumping on video, recording audio, using voice to text, and I can get that information and act on it, awesome. Because if it's your, if the barrier for me getting high quality information is going to be your struggle to write a paragraph or your hesitation to use that vocabulary in a sentence, even though I know you know it, um, right? Or you know what that word means, you can't spell it. And now you're not going to type it. And now I don't know, right? So right. And for me, it's really about that ease and efficiency, your organizational 
internal system, saving your time, reallocating your energy someplace else, and then also getting better quality responses and hearing from more kids than just the three kids that raise their hands or the two kids you get a chance to sit next to while they're working independently. So, you know, those are what I'm always most excited about when I'm looking at these tools or just differentiating the ways that kids can respond and keeping us more organized. And it might be using Google Forms or Microsoft Forms for our own work, right? It might be giving kids access to Flipgrid or Seaside. We just finished up a webinar for a group in um, Montana. I was going to say Minnesota. I'm like, it wasn't Minnesota. It was in Montana. <laughs> Another um, right before, yeah, right before our call um, in Montana. And so we were talking about Seesaw, right, with their early learners. So if their first yes. graders can snap a picture and talk about what they just drew, like that's going to give me a lot more information than collecting all of their drawings and thinking, okay, what is this, right? Or I didn't mm-hmm. get a chance to ask them what they drew, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we're really increasing increasing all the types of ways we can hear from students, which is what, you know, gets me really energized and excited. Connect with us on your favorite social media channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at STTechAbout. Yeah, and especially now that they can't see each other, or many many of them are only seeing each other digitally, it's mm-hmm. it's really fun for them to have the opportunity to speak and record and hold up their their artwork or their graphic organizer or whatever and do some explaining, and then for the students to start reacting to that is brings in the digital citizenship. And there's so many different mm-hmm. components that are help are helpful in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just that exit ticket for me, right? It's a community building activity. If I can hear the hesitation in your voice, even when you got the right answer, right? Maybe that means we need to still have a conversation about something, right? Or I need to reinforce that you're going in the right direction. So I love just building in those other layers, especially now, right? So that kids can hear voice feedback. You know, we've all gotten a text message from a family member or friend and thought to ourselves, are they mad at us? Because this is a joke, you know, like we read it a second time and we've known them for decades and we're still just not sure what kind of tone they were trying to get across with their fast message that probably meant nothing, right? And so if we're sending that to kids that we just don't know very well, or don't know us very well, right? But they can hear our voice and our energy. It's going to change the Mm -hmm. whole dynamic when we're giving feedback too. So there's just a lot of layers, especially now that I think are worth revisiting, um, especially for those that are teaching, you know, in a virtual way. I love your energy. I'm just going to say that. I love your energy, Monica. I am sitting here at the end of the day, end of the school day going, I am tripping over my words, but you have got it. (laughs) You've got it going on. (laughs) Stop talking now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Monica, thank you um, so much for joining us today. Um, We encourage our listeners to visit her blog at classtechtips.com and tune into her podcast, Easy Ed Tech, uh, where she offers tips and ideas and more for ed tech integration. Again, thank you for tuning in to another episode. This is Drew and Angie giving you something to talk about. about. Thanks, Monica. (laughs) Thank you so much.
just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.